Welcome, everyone, to the Ottawa Business Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Pagioni. Here on the show, we bring you interviews with business owners, executives, and key players operating in and around the Ottawa, Ontario, Canada region. We grab their insights on business, marketing, leadership, and motivation. We hope you'll tune in. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Ottawa Business Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Pagioni. Joining me today on the show, President and CEO of the Winchester District Memorial Hospital and Dundas Manor Long-Term Care Home, Charlie Bolin. We're going to be discussing all things COVID-19 related as it pertains to patients, staff, and the community at large. We're also going to shift our gears and look towards 2021 to discuss a new long-term care home project and a new hospital program. You're going to want to stay tuned. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Ottawa Business Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Pagioni. Uh, We have a very special guest lined up here today, uh, which is very, very timely as we come upon the uh, Christmas and holiday season. Uh, We're going to be joined here today by the President and CEO of the Winchester District Memorial Hospital and Dundas Manor Long-Term Care Home, uh, Mr. Charlie Boland. Charlie, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. Looking forward to our chat. Uh, Charlie, maybe we could start off. Um, we could start off with a little bit, a little bit of your background and and some some up your where your upbringing was, and maybe some of your interests uh, growing up as uh, as a young boy. Sure, um, I'm originally from a small mining town in northern Ontario, Kirkland Lake. Um, it's known as a hockey town because about 45 people from Kirkland Lake have made the NHL. There's always one person in a town that doesn't go along with the crowd, and I never played hockey, so most of my friends did, (laughs) but I didn't. That said, I was a bit of a gym rat growing up and played a lot of sports and and, uh, was also a little bit of a musician. Both my parents were musicians. And um, in high school, um, was always good in uh, in math and science, so that kind of took me south when I finished high school to Queen's University to, okay. to study engineering, and um, kind of gone on from there. Um, that was back in the late 70s, and uh, never really worked in engineering, but I joined IBM out of, a, out of university. Wow. And back in the 80s, for those long enough in the tooth... <laughs> would know that um, the personal computers that are so plentiful now were just getting started. And (laughs) IBM was at the forefront of that. And um, I joined the marketing team and I worked in a series of high tech jobs and took me all over North America working with uh, some of the biggest companies literally in the world, whether it's Citibank in the States or or the banks in Ottawa or in Canada. defense contractors on the West Coast, and it was uh, quite a heady experience for uh, a young guy in his early 20s, and um, that said, having grown up in a small community, 
and always my friends and family always kind of contributing community fundraising for this fundraising that I didn't see it as a, as a long-term proposition. So I started looking around, asking around and um, discovered, I'd never thought of this before, but I discovered that there's actually an administration and an administrator for a hospital. Wow. So, so after seven years of the working world, I, uh, in one fell swoop, I got married. Uh, we both quit our jobs and we both, we both went back to school and I studied um, health administration, hoping okay. one day to have a chance to work in a smaller community. Wow. And uh, that was in the early 90s. And again, if, if those of us who remember back then, that was when governments of all stripes first discovered their deficits. Okay, and, okay. And any type of government-funded uh, operation, like hospitals, like universities, that type of thing, kind of yeah. inhaled in terms of positions and opportunities. So it took a while, but I've had the great fortune uh, throughout my career. My first job was at CHEO, which was a, a tremendous experience. But I've worked in several communities in Ontario uh, and a couple in British Columbia and then back to Ontario and, and kind of chosen my path in smaller communities, whether it was Kirkland Lake, I got a chance to work there as an adult. I've been the, the hospital administrator in Arnprior and Orangeville and for the last nine years here at, uh, in Winchester, both at the hospital and the long-term care home. Just to, just a couple of things I just want to circle back on there. When you were at IBM, what were you selling? Was it mainframe computers back then? <laughs> yes, it was. Wow. It was, uh, Those were big computer, deals then that you were making. Computers that literally filled a large room. So what, but what was that like? So I'm assuming you're in marketing selling these things. What was that like? Because that's a whole new technology you're trying to sell these people. <clears throat> well, it, so we had the biggest companies and they already were IBM clients. So I was the technical support on a marketing team. Part of my job okay. was to push product. Part of it was to help set up. So what part of my job, a large part of my job was you take a company like DuPont, international company with a huge um, Canadian uh, operation. Yeah. And their whole business is contained in this huge computer. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, being IBM, we wanted to upgrade them. So when they took the next version of the computer, we had to take the computer down for a whole weekend okay. and make darn sure it was up and running on a Monday morning. Oh, wow. So so that was a huge part of my job to plan that. But yeah. it was pretty high stakes because we're talking, you know, what would be billions of dollars today, but back then it was tens of millions of dollars riding on the operation of this computer and, you know, they were having to go to great efforts to, to make do without it over the weekend. But, boy, they sure needed it Monday morning. Wow. 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 That's something. What, the other thing I just want to circle back on as well, you mentioned you went back to school to study the health administration. I think, you, did you say your wife did as well? She went back to school with? Well, she actually went, uh, got her university degree, and then on to teacher's college, different stream. But, yes, at the same time, okay. as I mentioned, uh, you know, most people wouldn't, follow this prescription but as i said we no. got married we quit our jobs and both went back to school all in the span of a couple months jay's good for you that's uh, that's certainly and i highlight that because i'm sure there's a lot of people after and during what's happened this year that are maybe considering yeah uh, you know maybe going back to school or so you would highly obviously highly recommend it and 
Well, I, you know, obviously it was a need for me to, to change careers and provide a, a path for me that something that I really valued and wanted to follow. So, um, yeah, couldn't go, couldn't jump from IBM into hospital administration, although maybe if I'd have thought about it, there was a, a foot in the door through the, the computer department, but that's not the route I went. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's something. Okay. Maybe, uh, maybe we can just kind of shift gears a little bit here and, and move to the Winchester hospital. So you're, you're at the Winchester hospital, maybe give the audience a bit of an overview of the hospital itself, if you don't mind, Charlie. Sure. So um, if you're not completely familiar with the geography we're down Bank Street when you come out of Ottawa. We're depending <laughs> Off on the Parliament tra- Hill. <laughs> exactly. We're, we're de- depending on the traffic. We're thirty to forty-five minutes away from downtown Ottawa. Um, we are, and it's it's pretty hard to kind of stumble into Winchester. You have to be on the way. It's not if you're on one of the major highways, you you won't you won't go too near it. So for that reason, we often refer to it as one of the best kept secrets in, um, in healthcare. You might think since we're in a smaller community, and as I said, off the beaten path a bit, we're, we're, we're you know, a small aid station with an emergency department, a couple ambulances, and really you couldn't be further from, uh, from, from the truth from that. We're a full service rural hospital I'll talk about the patient services we have, but we also have, uh, we have a research program that's known throughout Ontario and is looking at important research questions like how you care for people in a rural setting and, and what it means to be discharged from a hospital in a rural setting. We have a teaching program where people of, of all stripes, uh, medical students, nursing students, pharmacy students, physio students, even administrative students come and get their, their teaching here. We have a, a residency program where, where doctors-to-be come and spend their entire two years to get their, their capstone education to become a, a physician. And then there's our patient care. And, um, you know, we have full-service hospital. We have three operating rooms. We have the largest cancer satellite program in Ontario. We have a a kidney care unit where people can receive dialysis because their kidneys are failing. We have a maternity program second to none. And I can say that with great conviction because several years ago we were recognized as the top maternity program in all of Ontario. Not among small hospitals, among all maternity programs in Ontario. So we're quite proud of that. So you can tell, I think, that how proud we are and I am of this organization. And what I tell people is it's great that we think of ourselves as good, but it's great when someone else comes along and confirms that externally. So there's an organization called Accreditation Canada, which every four years comes to healthcare facilities and measures them against uh, national standards. And each of the last um, four-year cycles, for the last three times, we've received the very highest award, which is accreditation with uh, exemplary standing. And while those standards cover all operation of the hospital, they focus on the quality and the safety of the care we provide to our patients. So I, <laughs> I'm quite proud of this. I could go on and on. <laughs> and, and I'll just let you know, we have a sister organization Okay. Dundas Manor Long-Term Care Home, right next door to the hospital. Yeah. Organization in its own right. 
um, and can tell you that it achieves equal standards um, of excellence, um, accreditation with exemplary standing repeatedly. We just completed our, our annual patient and, and family satisfaction survey and got a 97% rating from the people we serve. Wow. And as I said, I could go on and on just to say that uh, if people have misperceptions about the quality of healthcare in a smaller community, yeah. uh, we're here to attest to the fact that our quality standards are as high as anywhere. Well, I'm definitely going to sound biased when I say, um, you know, and it's not that my, my older two children were, were born at the general, not that there was anything wrong with it. Um, I just didn't know anything different until the younger two were born in Winchester, and it was, it was vastly different. Uh, mm -hmm. So I, I, I can certainly appreciate what, what you're saying. I just want to circle back, though, to the – you mentioned that the – it's a, it's something along the lines of the cancer satellite. Uh, yes. Can you expand on that? Yeah. So obviously this is for people who unfortunately have a cancer diagnosis. And where our where satellite is affiliated with the Ottawa Hospital. And smaller hospitals throughout Ontario are affiliated with, uh, who have cancer programs, are affiliated with the, the local larger hospital. Could be Sunnybrook hospital in Toronto for people in the southern it can be the London Health Sciences Centre for people in southwest Ontario. So we are a satellite of the Ottawa Hospital, but among all the satellites in Ontario, we're the largest, which means we get the most practice in what we do. Wow. I mean, the standards that we serve, provide, or we adhere to here are just as high as the Ottawa Hospital or any other cancer program in Ontario. So obviously, if you're have the misfortune of being diagnosed with cancer, it upsets your life completely. Mm -hmm. And I mean, there's a little we can do with that and, and save you the, the, the inconvenience and the duress of having to fight your way into the city to get chemotherapy treatment or other sorts of supports. So it's something we have, a care, a service we provide close to home. And as I said, at the same standard, the same level you'd find anywhere else in Ontario. I just want to just want to move to uh, that was a, and again that's that was an excellent uh, excellent overview um, with with young children. I've definitely used the services uh, uh, to know exactly the quality of care that you're talking about. Um, I just want to sort of shift over to this year and maybe highlight, if you can, what's kind of changed with uh, with COVID nineteen. <laughs> What a year it's been for us all, <laughs> for everybody in the world. Um, and for those of us in healthcare, it's been, uh, it's been our own version of a, a tumult, of a, a, a incredible change, incredible stress. You know, I think back to um, February when this all started, and if you can imagine it, it's like we were on a, the hospital and, and home were we're on a, a ramp, gradually getting steeper and steeper, then all of a sudden almost becoming a cliff and going vertical. And I remember yeah. back in February, we were keeping tabs on what was helping elsewhere in the world, and we started screening our patients about their travel habits. And then as those cases became apparent that they were taking a foothold in, in kind of the, the coastal areas of North America, um, we enhanced our, you know, some of our precautions. And then when it became apparent that 
Ontario, in Eastern Ontario, we're not only getting cases, but it was communicating in, uh, there was community transmission. We just so accelerated, kind of went from zero to 100 kilometers an hour, practically overnight, in okay. terms of changes in the hospital and, and, and the precautions we had to make. Um, and, and it wasn't just us in isolation. We were connected to all our partners in Eastern Ontario and very much connected to, to the government and the Ministry of Health. So we went from being an open um, hospital, doing all of the regular things we normally do, to first of all, we restricted visitors to the hospital, and then we eliminated visitors to the hospital expect, except for compassionate reasons. Okay. We, we went from cautioning people not to come to the hospital if they've traveled or were feeling ill, to actually locking all our doors except for two and putting screeners uh, at each door and taking people's temperature and, and going through, as we all probably familiar with, a long list of questions uh, to see if people pass the screening test. Um, we, with the, under government order, and literally in the span of a few days, went from having 20 or 30 outpatient clinics and three operating rooms going full tilt to eliminating all our outpatient services and only doing emergency life-saving surgeries. And that went on for several months. Um, quite a difference to us. Mm -hmm. We went from um, walking around the hospital um, um, as you would and talking to anybody to wearing masks the whole time we're at work. And that, that's huge because you know, even in the operating room, doctors and nurses wear masks, of course, but they take them off when they go out. Yeah. So now if you're anywhere in, in, uh, near anybody else, whether it's a patient or just a colleague, we're wearing masks all the time. We've taken okay. hand hygiene to an art form. In, yeah. in the types of um, hand sanitizers we have and how frequently we do that. Okay. Uh, and then the, one of the biggest worry for, again, everyone across the world was the, the actual masks and gloves and gowns and visors we had, the personal protective equipment, PPE. Mm -hmm. And in the early days of, of February and March, we didn't know if we were going to have enough. Wow. We put in an order with our usual suppliers who were getting emergency orders from every other one of those clients, and we didn't, um, we didn't know if we'd receive the, the shipment. Uh, we never have run out, but we've been really, really supported by our community. We put out a call for donations and all kinds of people from all walks of life, people who did painting, people who are contractors, people who just had to have a supply, brought in masks and gloves, and a um, huge number of people volunteered to um, sew and prepare uh, caps for, for people to wear so their hair wouldn't be exposed. We okay. had all kinds of people with uh, 3D printers, uh, printing shields and pr um, printing, um, <laughs> I'm gonna say little plastic gadgets so your mask didn't dig into you. <laughs> and if that wasn't enough, the community fed us. We oh, wow. Non-stop donations of food, of Tim's, of homemade food, oh, of awesome. restaurant prepared food um, to, you know, to, for the community to, to show some expression of, of appreciation. Mm -hmm. uh, but 
the hospital staff and physicians were, were going through and the, the sense of the unknown and, and the stress that everyone was enduring. Mm-hmm. That's, that's something else. And in terms of, you know, you mentioned like the patients and, and the regular ongoings of the hospital. What, what happened with that? Was it like, did you guys put all that on hold or? Yes, pretty much. Uh, again, it came from government order. The concern was, you know, we were in the great unknown in, in March and we didn't know if the hospital and all the hospitals were going to be filled to the brim with people who had COVID. And so it was important that we had staff available to care for them, space okay. available to care for them. And other than emergency patients, you know, not people who were coming in on so-called elective procedures. Unfortunately, what can be an elective procedure now can be quite an urgent procedure if I have to wait for two weeks or two months. So that was a, a varying condition. Okay. And then there was, a, I will say, a, a great concern about ventilators. Ventilators were all in the news because yeah. the, was, the belief was the way to save someone who had serious COVID was to put them on ventilators. And that was the standard of care at the time. We've since learned that's only to be used in, you know, in extreme circumstances. But um, WDMH didn't, you didn't do ventilator care to begin with ever. So there was no need to us to, to conceive of that, except in the event that maybe all the hospitals were full and we couldn't transfer a, a patient to, from WDMH to another hospital that did ventilator care. So we got some ventilators like okay. all the hospitals did and started to teach our staff and our physicians um, how to use them if, if need be. We've never had to use them, but wow. that was a, 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 you know, a, a training that we had to go through just in case. So and and, and this is all going on at the same time here, the training yes, and the education. Exactly. Wow. At the same time, you know, as we all are, we had all kinds of scurrilous information on social media. We had inflammatory headlines in the, the regular media mm -hmm. and a terrible time of unknown, of concern and outright fear that, you know, we're going to contract it coming to work. Are we going to contract it at home or in the supermarket? Mm -hmm. And, um, we're a little bit more confident and a lot more confident and certain now, but back then we really didn't know. We knew all we can do is do our best in terms of distancing, masks, high, high head hygiene and other PPE. Yeah. And very, very much a concern for a lot of people. You know, all of us cope with these types of stressful situations in a different manner, some more extreme than others. So we had to provide a lot of support, a lot of information to all the people involved in our organization. And, you know, we've come through it. It's still uh, uh, can be a tense time. But fortunately for WDMH, in most rural communities, we've not seen a lot of COVID. Right okay. now, Dundas County, where we're situated, there's only one active case. And that's kind of been, you know, one, two, three active cases for most of the last few months. Really? Yeah. Wow. So uh, that said, if someone comes in with a suspicion of COVID, it has a, we have to treat them just as if they do have it. It's just at the end of that course of treatment, we know whether or not that person actually was confirmed with a diagnosis. Yeah, yeah. So, so is it fair to say, you know, I think that was a really good point. You, you know, you mentioned the headlines that mm -hmm. almost like everyone was going to be overrun and there was going to be no room in the hospital. And that, that never happened at, at Winchester. No, it didn't. And it didn't happen... 
certainly no hospitals in eastern Ontario yeah. because for a couple of reasons. So, so we cut back on all our services. We cut back on not so much our hospital, but other hospitals, the big ones, when they have surgery, people stay in the hospital two or three days after that. So they stop those surgeries. And then one thing that we didn't, I don't think we first, we expected was people stayed away from hospitals on their own. As I mentioned, the fear and uncertainty in a, in a healthcare staff extended to the community. So mm -hmm. unfortunately, people stayed away from emergency departments and stayed away from their physicians and, and obviously couldn't come in for, for outpatient procedures. So the occupancy of hospitals went way down throughout the, you know, throughout the spring. Okay. So that was okay. good for having capacity just in case we needed it. What was bad, what we found out is many people stayed away unnecessarily, but to their own detriment. So when they did finally access the, uh -huh, market, I see. the healthcare system, they were much more ill than if they'd, they'd come, you know, a couple of weeks, a couple of months sooner. Okay. Okay. And in terms of, you know, in terms of getting ready for all this, you know, you mentioned you had to do training and education all at the same time. Uh, like, was there a change or a shift, you know, amongst, uh, amongst, you know, the, the hospital and, and the view that, you know, maybe we got to get all hands on deck here or something or. Absolutely. We couldn't have, uh, we couldn't have done all this without just the incredible, incredible staff and physicians at WDMH and in Dundas Manor long-term care home. Normally I talk about staff physicians and volunteers and because volunteers are a pillar of any healthcare organization. Early on, we decided that we would, you know, in air quotes, send our volunteers home, no longer have them here. Again, because it was uncertain, because many of our volunteers are more senior and maybe more prone to contracting a very, uh, a very serious form of COVID. So it's only in the last couple of months that we brought back a, a few of our volunteers. But going back to the all hands on deck, it was about staff and positions. We had people throughout step up to become teachers, to become trainers. We had registered nurses with, um, you know, nursing degrees from universities sit on our screening desk just to ask visitors and, and patients a, a series of questions. Yeah, we had a excellent. chief research officer take the lead on organizing screening. We had a group of people who went out and set up uh, an assessment and COVID testing center, something we've never done before, something we've not done off-site. Okay. And they just went off and made it happen. Um, we were one of the first, you know, testing centers around anywhere. Um, you know, people just took the lead. Often, we, uh, in our normal way of working, you know, we're, we're out in meetings, we're out in our offices. I won't say keeping to ourselves, but there's kind of yeah. work. And there's work we do in our own work areas. Well, we actually set up what we call a command center, which was the same in every hospital, and, and, and it was also the same provincially and regionally, where all the senior managers and our, our head doctors sat there just about all day, assimilating everything, all the information that's coming to us from the government, from the region, from our community, with yeah. staff and managers coming in and out all day with different challenges and us trying to provide support and direction on how to address those challenges. Many brand new challenges that none of us have ever experienced. You know, people asking questions about, bluntly, am I going to get COVID if I come to work? Should I be yeah. even risking my family and that type of thing? And yeah. you know, things 
don't have definitive answers for, but we can at least provide some guidance based on, on the information we have. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it's definitely, you know, you talk about even just setting up the assessment center. I guess that's totally new because I guess, you know, H1N, I don't think you did that in H1N1. I don't remember. Well, and, and I wasn't, <laughs> I have to say, I wasn't at Winchester during H1N1, but okay. I understand there was a, there was a satellite operation, but it wasn't with the same concern and uncertainty that, you know, if you make one slip, you could potentially die with the contracting. Yeah. So, so again, part and parcel with setting up an assessment center back in March was not sure, not being completely certain at what level of risk we were putting the staff at, we were putting yeah. people who were coming in. Now, we know now we have full confidence that that's not putting people at risk, but that wasn't the case back then. Yeah. We had to come up with our own design. There was no cookie-cutter approach to, you know, what works in Toronto might work in Winchester. And yeah. it was all people coming together, physicians and staff, putting their heads together, uh, building things literally overnight, physically, physical structures. Um, okay. In Winchester, we had the great good fortune of the local Lions Club turned their hall over to us to use as a test center. Oh, said, excellent. Basically use it as you, as you choose for our community and for as long as you want. So we'll forever be grateful for that. Oh, that's excellent. That's excellent. So while all of this is going on, um, you know, you've got a really busy and, and fluid situation and I'm sure you've got a lot of people putting in some long hours. What did you guys have to do anything, you know, special to, you know, keep all of the workers, you know, healthy and especially mentally healthy or. Yeah, we did as much as we possibly could think of recognizing this was just a powder keg for everybody. And as I mentioned, we all have different coping strategies. Uh, communication is first and foremost. We have a lot of, methods of communicating in a big organization. You know, there's emails, there's memos, there's that type of thing. We made sure we were walking around to all the departments many times a day and trying to answer questions. One of the things we do, um, you know, what we were doing every two or three months is I have is what I call a town hall, where in a hall, we have staff come in and answer questions and, and provide information to them. But, you know, it's not that convenient, and it just depends who's on shift and between shift to come in. Yeah. So it turns out one of the offshoots are having Zoom or Teams <laughs> virtual town halls. Okay, excellent. So we, at one point, we were doing them three times a week just for 10 minutes, just saying, here's what's going on, here's what's we've heard, here's what some of the changes are taking place. Yeah, that's excellent. That's now, you know, we don't do it three times a week anymore, but now we're, that's kind of morphed into we do it once a month not about COVID, but about other things in, in the hospital. So there's a real focus on communication and, and not just what was going on, but to try and address the rumor of the day, something someone heard on social media or on TV. Yeah, and that yeah. So there's checking in like that. And then one of the great bombs for us all is food, right? So yeah. Uh, <laughs> we actually recognizing that you know the economy was shut down we're government funded we tried our best to support the local economies and once a week we brought in breakfast and lunch for the entire staff and we'd pick a different restaurant in a different community every single week and that went wow on. that's incredible that's incredible so that's we hope supported those those restaurants in a time Good of for you uncertainty. and you know it showed a 
some support and provided people with, with some food in addition to all those donations of, of Timbits and coffee. Yeah. And that. Um, you'd have opportunities to, um, you know, once we'd done for three or four weeks, we'd get chocolate for absolutely everybody and put it in a, a special gift bag and circulate it all. Wow, that's and incredible. We have something we call our commitment award, which um, we normally provide to the physicians, staff, and volunteers every three or four months to people who demonstrate an incredible commitment in the work of the hospital. Well, one of our physicians had the great suggestion, let's make this a daily occurrence. So rather than have people submit a formal um, application for this, we had yeah. people write uh, one sentence uh, naming a person why they should put the commit, why they should uh, receive the commitment award. We put it all in a hat, and every single day, initially even on the on the weekends, we pulled that name to provide a commitment award and give them a recognition and, and a gift certificate. Again, a gift certificate we bought locally somewhere. Yeah, and not to say for myself and many other people, that was one of the highest points of the day at noon hour to wait and hear who was going to get the daily commitment award. Wow, that's incredible. That's incredible. Good for you. Well, well done. Well done. And along with that, we have a social worker, we have counseling services, we have what we call the Employee and Family Assistance Program, which is a no-charge confidential hotline to services. And those are other services we provide that are a little bit in the background, but were very necessary for people to know that they could access if yeah. needed. Yeah, yeah. So that's, you know, we can't do anything in healthcare without, without our people. Um, I've worked all over, literally all over Ontario and in, in British Columbia, and, and the staff and physicians and volunteers at WDMH and Dundas Manor are literally second to none. Yeah. And that's how we got through this. And um, couldn't do it without them, and very fortunate to be with, with such an outstanding group of people to, to make it through this. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's, it's almost like that saying, you know, you want to find out how almost how strong your friends are will go through something, something trying and see who's still by your side. And I think that's, uh, you know, you're seeing the examples of that in everyday, everyday work there at the hospital. That's incredible. Yeah. If I'm very fortunate, I haven't contracted um, COVID-19 or any of the symptoms. Um, maybe for those in the audience, if you, if you don't mind, Charlie, maybe, Maybe walk us through, like, what are the steps if someone's listening to this um, and they're not feeling well? Like, what, what should they do and, and what happens when they get to the hospital? Well, I'm not, um, I'm not a doctor. So I <laughs> we'll put, the put the disclaimer out. Yes, this is not yes. medical advice, folks. Yeah, so, but I'm going to tell you what, what we tell our staff, what we advise our staff. Yeah. First of all, if you're not feeling well, and you're planning that day to come to work or to go anywhere where there's other people, don't, <laughs> please don't. Yeah. Because you're potentially infectious, potentially with COVID or maybe the flu or something else. So don't do that. Um, if you really are feeling very unwell, a um, <clears throat> couple options, certainly your doctor's office or the emergency department at the hospital is a possibility. You know, if it's a cold, a nagging cough, a sore throat, that type of thing, 
and you really don't think you're that sick. Again, don't go near anybody else, but maybe wait a day. Yeah. And if you think, if, and, and if the symptoms go away, then you know maybe you, you you slept the whole night with your mouth open and got a sore throat from dryness or something along those lines. But if it persists in any length, from a COVID perspective, go get tested. You've okay. got symptoms, go get tested. So I'll tell you a little bit about the history of our test center, which is pretty much mirrored around the hospital, around the, the province. When we first opened in March, we'd see anywhere between five and 20 people a day to test them. Okay. Then I think it was June-ish, um, the government said, you know, anyone who wants to get tested, come out and get tested. So that grew, that grew slowly over a couple of weeks to, to 70 to 100, maybe 120 people um, we were seeing in our test center. And then in September, uh, related to coming back to work, related to the schools coming, related to people having to stay home if their kids were um, showing symptoms, the tidal wave hit us just like it did every other test center. Okay. So we went from seeing 100 to 120 people a day to receiving 2,000 phone calls a day. 2,000 so, phone calls a day? 2,000 phone calls a day. People coming from Ottawa without checking to see if they're, they could get in, lining up around the block in their cars, uh, phone calls from Northern Ontario, from Quebec to see if they could get in. Oh, and my Lord. We couldn't handle that. And, and, you know, we did the best we could, but many people were dissatisfied, quite rightly. They were on the phone forever and then got dropped. And then we couldn't, we couldn't fit them in in any type of reasonable time frame. So then we did our best. We put on extra staff. We had different protocols, different ways to answer. We got a whole new phone system for the assessment center. Okay. What affected us? is what affected the rest of the hospital, rest of the test centers, and everything <laughs> subsided again. Wow. People, I guess, got over the, the, the hump of, of, of concern. Um, okay. There was a different, bit of a relaxation in terms of the requirements in schools and that kind of thing. So we're back to seeing 50 to 60 patients a day in our test center. All okay. that to say where I was coming from was yeah. if someone today needs feels they need a test set, uh, a test for COVID because they've got some sort of symptom and you haven't accessed the system for a few months, don't worry. You can get in on the same day, whether it's us or most other places. Okay. You can get through on the phone without too, too much of a wait and it's very accessible. So all that to finish my story is that, you know, if you feel like there's a chance you might have COVID, go get, you've got symptoms, go get tested you'll get those uh, results in all likelihood within 24 to 48 hours, and then you'll be able to answer that question. Okay. Okay. Excellent. And what are the calls like now? You're not getting, you're still not getting to 2,000 a day. No, no, no. We're getting, again, we're getting calls from people we can see that day. So if you yeah. can just calls, and if you call today, we'll yeah. see you morning or this afternoon, and, and that'll be the case. Okay. Okay. Okay, I think that's excellent. Thanks, thanks very much for for sharing that. Um, hopefully, most of the listeners will will not have to go that route. Um, I just want to shift gears here a little bit, Charlie, because I understand there's there's a new long term care home project on the horizon. Is that is that correct? 
Yes. So I just, just before I get that, I should, yes. I just want to extend my, my appreciation, the community, our communities, because we serve many communities were so supportive throughout the whole COVID experience. It wasn't just food. It was expressions of appreciation. It was, um, the fire department coming by and doing a drive through uh, people ringing church bells and, and all kinds of other expressions of, of appreciation. And that type of support was very heartfelt and very appreciated both at the long-term care home Dundas Manor at the hospital. So I just want Excellent. to say thank you so much from the bottom of all our hearts. Yeah, no, that is, that is very well said. Yeah. Very well said. Very well said. And, and I think. Coming to uh, Dundas Manor long-term care home. Yeah. Um, First of all, just in, a, in the briefest, you know, we obviously in long-term care was as concerned, if not more so, than hospitals about, about COVID. We're very fortunate through incredible leadership. We have their nursing and clinical leadership. We've kept COVID out and we've kept the families engaged and, and aware of what's going on and kept our residents engaged and active inside, even though visitation has been minimal. But we had a, a, a challenging situation there even before COVID. And I'm gonna use a little bit of analogy. I don't know how many of us have gone down into a basement that's all cluttered, that you can barely walk from one side to the other, and maybe the ceiling's really low and you're almost bending over. Yeah. Well, so keep that image in mind when I talk about Dundas Manor. Okay. Dundas Manor um, was built in the late 1970s with 60 beds. And over the course of the next 20 years or so, prior to our involvement, um, another 38 beds were added. So almost doubled. Okay. When those beds were added for people to live there, there was no addition to common activity areas, to dining areas, to the kitchen itself. So there were new people added to care for, but no common space. So when you walk into Dundas Manor, you walk into the first, the, the lobby, and there's residents sitting around all over because there's no other place for them to, to hang out. Okay. Walk through the hallways. I'm not a big man, but even someone smaller than me can reach her hands out and touch both walls. I can't really touch the ceiling, but it's so low that it makes me want to kind of hunch <laughs> over. In our dining rooms, which were designed by in the seventies when people didn't have wheelchairs and didn't have walkers, it's so congested with these aids that you can't get through without bumping your leg on something. And, it, and it's hard enough just to get through. Okay. We have rooms where four residents live um, practically on top of each other on, under specifications that today you wouldn't allow two people in those rooms. But if you can imagine wow. the, how you giving up privacy, if you've lived your whole life in your own home and you're coming in and now all of a sudden have to share it, with three other people that are literally only about four feet away. What I'm saying is <laughs> there's no room anywhere. Two okay. people can barely pass each other in the hallway. There's no room to congregate. And in times of COVID and infection control, there's no way to separate people. <clears throat> Having said all that, hopefully giving you an image of what the building is like. Yeah. Every single day, magic happens our incredible staff come to the home. And as I said, we 
take care of our patients, we involve our residents, we involve our staff, we get these awards, accreditation with exemplary standing, 97% satisfaction from our families and residents. And it really is remarkable with such an unproductive, a building that literally works against us. Okay. Well, for many years, we have lobbied the government to receive, to get a new building so we can build to today's standards. So today's standards would take those 98 beds and provide literally twice as much space as exists in the current Dundas Manor. Okay. So in March, we were honored with a visit by the Minister of um, Long-Term Care, Dr. Marilee Fullerton. And at that time, you couldn't come into the building because COVID precautions were in place, but uh, off-site, she formally announced government support and government funding for a brand new Dundas Manor. And not just for 98 beds, but for 128 to better serve our community. Oh, wow. That's incredible. So the great news is that we've got that underway. We've got land right next to the building. Um, We've got a planning uh, initiative underway. And the great news is the government is going to give us somewhere in the area of $24, $25 million towards it. Okay. The other part is it's a 35 or $36 million project. So we have to raise at least $11 million locally. Okay. And uh, we've been very fortunate. Um, the, the, the county of Stormont Dundas, Glengarry, has, donated, has dedicated or committed money. Um, the community of, or the municipality of North Dundas, the municipality of South Dundas have also committed money to this endeavor. Okay. And it still requires our fundraising foundation to go out to communities and to businesses to solicit donations to, to support this important cause. So that's what's underway right now. The really exciting part is that we'll be getting a new home within a couple of years, probably, and that there's just a requirement for or, or an appeal to the community. So we've been very fortunate that we've got municipal support for this, and we've already received many donations from, from individuals in the community, but that $11 million, it's a, it's a pretty uh, challenging target. So the most exciting part is we're getting a new home to serve the seniors in our community. And the the challenging part is that we just require um, financial support from donors in the community, which have always served us in the past. And it's just something that that lies ahead of us, a bit of a challenge to receive those donations. Okay. Okay. And where where is the, where is the, the, the new facility going to be built? Is it right beside the hospital as well or? Yeah. So, um, in, on our campus, we have the hospital proper, and we have two, I'll call them medical buildings. One is, a, is a, an older gray building that was actually formerly a nurse's residence way back when. Okay. And it has within it a physician's office and a laboratory. And then what we have, what we call the community care building on another corner of our property. And it's got doctor's offices in it and some other services. The land for the new Dundas Manor is immediately adjacent to that community care building. I see. I see. Okay. And, and what are the plans for the, once the new one is built, uh, what are the plans for the existing Dundas Manor? Where, can you retrofit it or? So that's still on the drawing board. Um, okay. Most attention is focused on the new building. There is some potential for the older building, um, either for us to come up with a new purpose 
or possibly to, to sell it or come in partnership with someone who um, has some other designs on it. So it's, uh, it's an older building, obviously, but it's a, a fairly large building and potentially there's some alternative use for it in the future. Okay. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. Now, I understand as well here, Charlie, you have a new hospital program. Is that, is that something else uh, that's new for 2021 here? Well, yes, and it actually went just live today, which, um, which just is the occasion to talk about it. Now, it's only a value to really a small number of patients, and I'll explain. There is, um, within Ontario, uh, an organization called Trillium Gift of Life whose government mandate is to ensure there's uh, donations of organs and body tissues for people who need those. Okay. And that's been, that concept of, of donating your organs has been around for a long time. But most smaller hospitals have long gone out of that, that service because, you know, there's a sensitivity of approaching people we know from our community. And to be able to, to have that skill to be able to recover those organs and the tissues requires practice and you have to do it you know, fairly often and that just doesn't happen in a smaller community. So the Trillium Gift of Life has developed a network among all hospitals and is just turning its attention to small hospitals where if the person, if the family, if it's very important to them to donate their organs after death, and their tissues and, and what people may not realize when you talk about this you think of donating a lung or a heart really there's a higher demand for tissues like skin and bone and corneas and, and heart valves and that type of thing if that's very important to someone by hospitals like wdmh being part of this program and this network that's then available to them what the trillium folks do is they are experts and experienced at that and they will be the ones who talk to the family and they will be the ones who brought, send in their own surgeons and medical expertise or medical experts to, to recover those tissues if the family and, and, the, and the person and the patient ultimately want that, um, want that to happen. Okay. So as, as I mentioned, it's only going to be a value likely to a small number of people, but that was unavailable to people in this area, to patients in this area, until actually today we went live. So it's a, we're oh, part of congrats. the Life Network and program for the province. And for those who, who accidentally or can see it coming or nearing the end of life, um, that's a service now available here in Winchester. Okay. Okay. That is excellent. Excellent news. In terms of in terms of employment, I just wanted to. I know there's. I've seen a few on social media, and I've circulated the, a few of them myself. Um, you know, maybe just touch on as well some of yeah you know, some of the you know there are obviously some employment opportunities at the hospital, and and I think more so if you can touch on as well. You have, you've done a great job so far of the culture and how important that that culture is there. Right. So yes, we do have some. Um, opportunities for people who want to come and work here and I'll be more specific in a minute but just you know we have a wonderful culture here uh, almost everybody knows everybody um, not that this is the most important thing but the CEO's door is open on a, on a well-traveled hallway and, and anyone can can hop in and give me a suggestion or, or maybe not a suggestion um, we have lots <laughs> of social activities we have a very engaged recreation committee we have you know, very well-paying jobs with, with solid benefits. Uh, we have a good communication culture. Um, 
few years ago for several years in a row, uh, both the Ontario Hospital Association and the Eastern Ontario Health Unit provided us with awards recognizing the health of our culture and the positiveness of our culture. I mean, there are challenges within healthcare, but as I mentioned earlier, we, uh, we tried to provide as much support as possible. And there are opportunities for people to progress here. We have frontline nurses who've become managers and we mm -hmm. have, um, you know, healthcare aides who have become registered nurses. And one of our physicians started out as a hospital cook, not here, but in, in her path, that's how she started out. And wow. one of our chief physicians. Wow. So what we're looking for typically, and you can go to our website, uh, we're looking for a variety of people in nursing positions, most temporary and, and, and part-time, but we are do have a requirement for skilled positions as a, as a full-time and regular time. We're right, right now just coincidentally looking for some people to work in our food services in our kitchen. And I'll say at, Long, at Dundas Manor, um, we certainly have a need for both personal support workers, PSWs, and nurses. Okay. So anyone in a healthcare clinical profession or, or food services, please go to our website. We'd love to hear from you and, and talk, you about, talk to you about the opportunities here at either the hospital or the long-term care home. Okay, that's excellent. And, and those, well, I'll definitely uh, provide all of the contact details at the end, and I'll also put them in the, uh, in the show description for those that are, uh, that are listening to, to the podcast online. What, what advice, uh, Charlie, would, 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 you, would you give to others, and what would you say are the pillars of success that have served you well in, in your uh, certainly accomplished career? Well, thank you. I'm, I'm, I've been working in healthcare for 30 years, and I had that seven years of um, high tech before that. And uh, you know, <laughs> the best advice I can find, I can give you, <laughs> be a bit more specific, is find a great group of people that you like and respect, and, and work with them. Yeah. Which is, which has been my good fortune. But from an individual perspective, you know, I've always tried to work as hard as anyone else and demonstrate that. Okay. Always trying to learn. You know, I've got uh, several university degrees and, and, and just don't stop building on that. Um, whether it's taking courses, going away for a week every year, um, tuning into webinars that, that can on different topics. I do that several times a month. Happy always to take courses. So there's always a way to learn more to enhance your skills. And then I think there's the values piece. And, and I'm a very values driven person as is healthcare values are prominent in most important is, you know, think of other people. Okay. We're very fortunate if you're in healthcare, although it's a stressful job, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a secure, pretty good job. And we're here to care for others. And that's what we should do for the patients who come through our doors and for our colleagues and everyone we work here. And, and, you know, that goes the same for when you leave work. So uh, work hard, always keep on learning and think about other people. Oh, that's excellent. That's excellent. Uh, I'm going to kind of dovetail off of that with the follow-up question. What three things would you tell those in management today? Because I think your, you certainly your tenure in management would provide some great insights for others here. Well, you know, management can be pretty exciting. I'm always excited well, when we get a new manager here, but especially when we promote someone from, say, the front line into their first management job. And as I mentioned, we're teaching hospital. So, we actually have a budding hospital administrator here with us for the last three or four months who's uh, doing his placement 
out of the Masters of Health Administration program in Ottawa. So uh, we've got all this management around me, and you know, I would I would tell managers the same thing as I said. Think of other people. There's I'm not much for buzzwords and, and management concepts, but there's something called servant leadership, and that's as I mentioned to help other people. So if you work with people and you can help them be a success, then your group and your organization will be a success. And uh, I really think that's that's the key to it. You know, it, it's not. If you can help other people, they will see you as, as someone special and you'll become a success. And I think that's the most important thing you can tell managers. Yeah. Um, never rest on your laurels, right? Healthcare is like anything else. Uh, it's rapidly changing. So you've got to continue to be learning, continue to be talking to people. And, uh, but in terms of from a values perspective, um, think of other people, help other people, be accountable, and that will see you through any type of career. Yeah, oh, that is excellent. Yeah, that is excellent. Very well said. Very well said. What What does a typical day look like for you, Charlie? I know it's a little bit different with the pandemic right now, but generally speaking, what what does a typical day look like? Well, um, pandemic makes it different. And certainly in the spring, when we were at the peak of pandemic, that's all it was, literally 14 hours a day was pandemic issues. I'm fortunate I get a lot of variety because there's, you know, there's things that come up there that, that, that creep up all the time. Um, yeah. I get to work. Um, I look at a couple of reports that kind of tell me what's going on in the hospital and what's going on in um, Dundas Manor. I try and take a walk around and, and see people firsthand and get a feel of what's going on um, inside the organization. There's a regular meeting we call a safety meeting at Dundas Manor. Every morning at 9.30, I tune into that. And then the rest of the day just depends on, on what happens to be going on. Um, we have a lot of, you know, whereas I used to regularly several times a week drive to Ottawa for meetings and a couple times a month fly to Toronto, that's mm-hmm. all on Zoom now. Mm-hmm. So meeting after meeting, whether it's meeting with my counterparts, other hospital CEOs um, throughout Eastern Ontario, um, I'm on uh, several um provincial committees. One looks after cancer quality. So that's what I used to drive or fly to Toronto. Now I do it Zoom wise and that's much better. And then, you know, we talk about different challenges going on in the, in the, in the hospital, whether it's um, some hiring that has to be done, whether it's dealing with um, complaints. I, I like to brag about the hospital is that we have patient satisfaction that, that nears, you know, 98, 99% but we're not perfect. We make mistakes and we have to mm-hmm. deal with complaints. So that's something that, that uh, I deal with. I deal with all the other managers also to try and find out what's going on with them and to try and address and provide suggestions to some of their challenges. So my day is full of variety. It can be dealing with government, dealing with the community, dealing with physicians and staff, dealing with finances, but it's all in support of providing the very best service to uh, to the, the people we serve here in our communities. And, and, and as busy as the day is, how, how do you stay balanced? <laughs> well, <laughs> I'll just repeat this and you'll get sick of me repeating it. I work <laughs> with the best people anywhere, so that helps to stay balanced. Um, you know, my joy is my family. I have a, a, a 22-year-old son who graduated from Queen's University in Engineering last year. Oh, spring. excellent. Excellent. Um, 
formerly a competitive hockey player and soccer player and an accomplished musician. I've got an 18-year-old daughter who's just starting university this year from her bedroom. It's all online. Yeah. Um, competitive soccer player, um, a competitive equestrian, an accomplished musician. My wife's a teacher, both uh, in the classroom and at home tutoring. And we have a great time together and keep us all balanced. And um, that's the source of my balance and, and inspiration and energy. And um, that's what makes life important. Did your, did your daughter break the Queen's tradition or is she going to, is she going to Queen's? Yeah, she's going to that big university in Toronto, the Blue Wings. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> she did. But she's taken engineering, so let's put it that uh, how, how did you take that? Well, <laughs> all in good stride. <laughs> yeah, uh, Charlie, do you have any hobbies or interests? that? Well, again, just mirroring the family. Um, yeah. Active sports-wise, like to run. Um, I'm a terrible golfer, but we play a little bit of golf. You know, <laughs> I know that feeling. Speed, we skate. And then we're all musicians. So the great joy was for most of my kids' life, the three of us have had a performing band. Oh, wow. Like you and the kids? Me and the kids. We've played in the States. We've played throughout. Oh, come on. Stereo. We've uh, been to variety shows, fundraisers, as you would guess, hospitals and long-term <laughs> We're probably the only band that ever went to Dundas Manor and played Led Zeppelin and Aerosmith, and everyone enjoyed it. <laughs> I can just imagine the residents rocking out yeah, yeah. a so dog the, or something. <laughs> sadly, we're, it's almost curtailed, both because of COVID and because of the age and stage of my kids. But for okay. a while, we were performing probably 15 times a year. Wow, that's incredible. Are you all playing the same instruments, or have you got the whole band covered there? Like yeah, hard to share. No, um, my son uh, plays the piano and the drums and will sing if you threaten him, but not usually. Okay. Uh, my daughter sings, plays the piano and a variety of other instruments, and I play the piano, guitar, and do a little bit of singing, but my daughter's the, the front man of the band. Okay. Okay. Oh, that is awesome. And your, does your does your does your wife book the shows, or is she does she? Well, someone has to film us. We're all over YouTube. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is awesome. That is awesome. Very very well done. Very well done. Um, let's just. I just want to move to Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Uh, anybody there that that you listen to or would recommend to the audience? Well, I, uh, I'm not, I don't go to get my podcast through those services. I'm kind of eclectic when it comes to podcasts. I mentioned okay. earlier, I follow Joe Rogan, and whether it's... Um, oh, good old Joe. You know, it's an actor or an athlete or, or uh, some, some agitator. I, I like listening to various viewpoints. And I just okay. listened uh, on a podcast to uh, Tom Powers on Q talking about... Um, Ponty um, directing his mother, Sophia Loren, in, in a new movie. So, oh, okay. As I said, kind of varied interests. Oh, very interesting. Very interesting. And, and with, you know, with everybody hunkering down here, especially over the Christmas Christmas break, or any Netflix crave, Apple TV series or movies or, or books even that you'd recommend to the audience? Well, I... Uh, Along with, I think, about 70 million others, I was just completely enraptured with uh, Queen's Gambit. The, okay. The series. But for people who may not know, the same producers uh, several years earlier produced a limited series Western called Godless. 
and it's as good or better than Queen's Gambit. Okay, and is it where is that on Netflix? That's all on Netflix. Yeah. Okay, what is it called again? Godless. Godless. It's a western. Okay. It's a western, and it's so good. Okay. Okay, I'll have to check that. I still have to. I, Queen's Gambit is on my list. I still gotta. I still gotta get to that. Oh, once you start, you won't be able to tear yourself. Yeah, that's my. <laughs> that's my fear. <laughs> Uh, what is your? Do you have a favorite social media platform or, or channel? Not really. Uh, my kids say us adults we ruined Facebook, but I guess <laughs> Facebook is my go-to. Um, and not so much following someone. You know, it's mainly community uh, Facebook pages that I follow. One from okay. my hometown, Kirkland Lake. But yeah. you know, I live in Kempville and I work in Winchester. I follow them both just to find out what's going on in the community and kind of what the different sentiments are. Okay. Okay. And, and what does an ideal day off for you look like spent with, I'm, I'm assuming with the family and well, you might guess. Yeah, of course. It's my family. I'm thinking back in June, um, what we did on father's day, we, we all went out to, to play a round of golf. Now we're terrible golfers. We didn't keep oh, awesome. anything, but it was just being together. Yeah. We awesome. A swim. We uh, played some games. We had a big meal and I can't think of anything better than that. Yeah, awesome. Good for you. Good for you. All right, we'll just finish off with one last question here, Charlie. When when people hear the name Charlie Bolden, what do you hope they would say? Well, I hope, um, I think it was a solid guy from a values perspective, but that he helped. Um, you know, like to help organizations, like to help groups, so like to help individuals. And um, I think that's what I, and, and I think to a large degree, what my family's all about. Oh, that is excellent. That is excellent. Well, I, I've definitely taken up uh, enough of your time here. I definitely uh, think that there's tremendous value here for the audience, and thank you for that. Um, I wish you all the best of success in, uh, in 2021. Uh, They're at the hospital, keeping us all uh, safe and, and healthy, and definitely as well with the Dundas Manor long-term care home and, and the plans you have there. Uh, thank you very much for, for your time here, Charlie. Well, thank you. I really appreciate your interest, and it's really been enjoyable speaking with you. Yeah. Okay. Thank you very much. Cheers. For those looking for additional information from our guest today, Mr. Charlie Bolin and the Winchester District Memorial Hospital, they have various website and social media addresses. The website for the Winchester District Memorial Hospital can be found at www.wdmh.on.ca. You can also find the Winchester District Memorial Hospital on the following social media channels. You can find them on Facebook, at Winchester District Memorial Hospital. You can find them on Twitter at WDMH Pride. That's W-D-M-H-P-R-I-D-E. And you can also find them on LinkedIn at Winchester District Memorial Hospital. You can find the Dundas Manor on the web at www dundasmanor.ca that's www.dundasmanor.ca and you can also find the Dundas Manor on Facebook 
at Dundas Manor, Winchester. And third, you can also find information from the Winchester District Memorial Hospital Foundation on their website at www.wdmhfoundation.ca. That's www.wdmhfoundation.ca. And you can also find the foundation on social media on Facebook at WDMH Foundation and on Twitter at WDMH Foundation. Thank you very much for taking the time to listen to this episode of the Ottawa Business Podcast. We truly hope you found something of value in the show that you can use in your business or personal life. Please remember to like and subscribe to the show. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite player. Thank you.